Come on. Welcome to Lifeblood. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Amanda Gunawan. Amanda, are you ready to do this? Yes, I am. Thank you so much for having me. I'm for excited, excited to have early, you. Six yes. a.m. <laughs> nice and early. <laughs> Amanda is the founding principal at OWIU Design. They're a full-service architecture and design firm. Amanda, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Um, okay, so I was born in Indonesia. I was raised in Singapore. Well, I grew up in Singapore, and then I moved to Los Angeles from co- uh, for college, and I've been here ever since. That was, I think, seven years ago or eight years ago. I can't believe how fast time has passed, really. <laughs> it's hard to think that it's almost a decade since yeah. I actually started architecture school. Um, yeah, so I've always, I think I've always wanted to be in architecture. So there's not a lot for me to, like, I, I didn't start wanting to be anything else. So whenever I talk about my childhood and how it led to my path in architecture, it seems like there isn't very much of a story, really. Like, I, I did want to always be in architecture and real estate. So here I am. Awesome. No, no, no twists and turns and, and, and crazy experiences. It was, you always knew that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, crazy experiences. Sure. But there wasn't like a, an epiphany. I was one of those annoying kids. I think I was the kid that just knew what they wanted to do and um, just decided that that's, that's where I'm headed. And here I am. And I've like been relentless ever since. I love it. So when, 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 when you were little, was it a function of you always wanted to build things? It was, you're always sketching things. It's a combination of all of it. I think, um, ever since I was little, I've always had this affinity for creating things. So I would always be like, I was quite introverted as a child and I would always be in a corner and I would um, just like, I would have like a little desk area and I'd always be sketching and always just trying to make things. And there was a part of me that just like, I, that, that was like my happy place. And it gave me like internal validation. Little did I know as a child that that was the act that was giving me internal validation, the act of creating something and transforming it into a product that I could be proud of. Like I was always making storybooks, comic books, like little like buildings and arts and crafts for other people. And so that was one aspect of it. And then the other aspect of it was actually um, realizing how I process information and so how I would analyze the world and what was the most comfortable mode of expression for me. And that was visual. That was always visual for me. And I found that out much later where um, like halfway, like maybe when I was like 15 or something, I realized that like, I really like fixing problems too. And so I, I just, I problem solving was 
like one of these things that I just really enjoyed. And then um, I found out that the best, like my best mode of expression was always visual. And so I wanted to somehow combine all of these things into one occupation and then decided that was architecture because that had all of these like these like skills that I really enjoyed. I love it. Okay. So fast forward to, to today, do people come to you to fix existing problems or because they want a, an existing space to be changed? Is it, we have a blank slate and we want you to create something. Is it everything? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of both, but I would argue that that's like, even when it starts with a blank slate, that's still kind of a design problem hmm. because I don't think that you ever design. And this is my perspective. I don't think that I've ever designed from a completely blank canvas, at least even if it was a blank canvas, I'm always trying to create my own parameters for it. So I'm, I would always take in from the surroundings. And um, it's funny because um, my ex boss who um Tom Main from Morphosis, who I actually like really admire. I remember um, him telling me this once where he had finished um, designing a swimming pool in his house. And so he said that one day he was just sitting at the side of his swimming pool and watching kind of like the ripples and the caustic effects of the water. And he was just sitting there and he had this epiphany and he said something like, I can't believe that people think that they can exist and design and feel like they're not a connected and a part of the world. Like they mm. can't just connect it from their heads internally. They have to understand that they are a part of something else. And so with that said, I think um, he put it quite succinctly where designing, you're always a part of something else. So you're never really designing just internally from inside your head on a blank canvas. Like it's always connected to everything in your surroundings. And so it's about creating parameters for yourself to attack this design problem or for lack of a better word. Yeah. I think that that, that, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. Interesting. And there's certainly, there's probably, well, Perhaps there are opportunities where you can just build something in the middle of nowhere exactly how you want. But to your point, there's existing structures and there's probably zoning considerations mm -hmm. and different rules. And so there are mm -hmm. existing parameters. And so your challenge slash opportunity is how do I take my vision and the way that I see the world and design and bring those two together? Exactly. Nice. Yeah. Has 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 your have your parameters? changed and evolved um yes definitely and it changes i think it always changes according to like the site itself i think in architecture the way that we design at our firm is that part of it is taking the existing and respecting what's there but also putting in what we what what we can actually offer right now so what we have to offer as a designer but also at the same time taking into consideration the fu the future of it so basically thinking about 
okay, how is this space going to be used eventually? And how do we want it to grow with the person that's going to inhabit this space? And so we never really leave a space done. We always leave it in a state where it will evolve with the person that's inhabiting this space. That certainly makes sense. You want to be mindful of the human beings and how they're going to be interacting with it. Exactly. And you want this space, like we always say, we don't want this to build something to last. We want it to be built to evolve. Huh, nice. Like that's a cool way to think about it. So does your work, is it, is it, is it homes? Is it, is, is, is it office buildings? Is it, is it everything? It's a little bit of everything. Um, it's, we're definitely, I mean, we're only three years old, so we're not the scale where we're building office, like 50-story office buildings yet. Maybe we'll get there eventually. Um, but we've kind of, um, in order for us to truly practice what we preach, which is thoughtful design and careful craftsmanship, we've started to evolve into a full-service um, design all the way till build firm. So we take on the construction as well because we like to see through a project from micro and all the way to macro. And yeah, it's basically just a way for us to micromanage. <laughs> I appreciate that. So when, when, when you have a new opportunity, the, the client is an individual or whoever it is, you, you are you are merging your parameters and the way that you're viewing the opportunity with how it's going to interact with the world. Is it also taking feedback from, from the, for lack of a better term, the, the owner? Yes, of course. Very much so. Um, I think that again, it is like when we're hired by an owner, it's kind of like we're listening to what they want. Sometimes not even with them having to say anything, but I think that's our job. I think we are here to solve problems, to create something for them and kind of process all of that information, whether it's existing on top of that, whatever they're telling us and whatever we think that they need and kind of like translate that into visuals. In this case, like a, a building. It's interesting, fascinating. So you start with, you start kind of ideating and then it's a function of how am I actually, what, what are the materials? How, how do you bring all that together? Um, I think it's basically, yeah, it, it's a bunch of factors. It goes in a process. Um, materials would usually come. So no, actually sometimes it comes from the, from the beginning part um, it, it's all like a process and it's basically just the way that you view it is like a building is like a giant system. It's kind of like a computer. It has all these moving parts. So you don't really like there is a building block process and there are the beginning stages of like the conception of this idea, but it's not exactly like it's not linear like that. But you are building a machine. Mm -hmm. So there are like all these aspects to it where like what you said, like a material palette or like um, basically um, like how do you circulate in the space? 
et cetera, et cetera. And all these things will layer and build on one on top of the other to kind of create the entire space. I like it. Is there, I, I imagine that there are challenges at every step of the process is, are, 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 are there, are there certain parts that you think are more challenging than, than others? Maybe that's the wrong word. Um, challenging. I think all of it is a little bit challenging. I think, um, just like anything, it's kind of like trying to complete a task. Mm -hmm. And so unforeseen, unforeseen circumstances will always occur. And I think that in itself is quite challenging because you, you, I mean, it's, you never expect it and you never know what it is. And so, um, yeah, it, it happens in every stage. It all, it usually actually happens all the time. So that's something that us as architects, like we just have to be very used to just thinking on our feet and being able to improvise and figure out another solution. It's constantly problem solving. Yeah, particularly as you are actually managing the construction and every aspect of it. I imagine that it's that is constant. Yeah. It's also like communication. A lot of it it like basically like running any company. I think communication is a big part of it too. The different I mean communication is only ever successful when you are um when the person hearing it is actually receiving it in the way that they should. So there's like two facets to it. It is what you think it is and what it is in your head and the idea itself and how you want it to be translated, but also how this person is receiving it. And so um, it's funny because um, we started Inflection Builds, which is our construction company during COVID. And we've kind of grown the team to a point where we have um, like we, we have these men working for us, like they're our in-house team construction workers. And so on one hand, I have the design team who I have to communicate with um, and they're all architecture graduates. And it's very, it's a very different way of communicating with them and then coming up with these ideas and then having to communicate with the construction team where they're not, they're, they're more street smart, right? Like they're not exactly um, like college educated. Sure. And so, but like they really understand how something is built. So it's basically like trying to get this abstract idea turned into like a design. And then from there talking about how to get it built. And like, there's this difference in communication as well, but it's necessary to kind of bridge that. Yeah, I think that that's I think that that's fascinating. So the importance of communicating this is what our, our vision is and what the design actually is. But how do we actually build the thing? And when we're running into problems, how do we how do we approach them? And I also imagine that there needs to be ongoing communication and open flow of communication with the owner to make sure that everything's progressing along and managing those expectations because it's probably never going to go quite as smooth as we want. Exactly. I think it's just safe to say that if you were a good communicator, it would help a lot. <laughs> yeah. What does, when, when, what makes a successful project? 
or are all of them successful at the end just because at by, by 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 virtue of giving birth to this thing um i would say that a successful project is when it kind of like as we were talking about if you view the building as like a whole machine or like a bunch of systems coming together to work together um i would say that the more successful ones is when you can tick all the boxes. Love it. When, yeah. When you've achieved a lot of the things that you set out to achieve. I think that you described yourself as relentless earlier. Did you? Yeah. I think. How does, how does that factor in? Um, I definitely think that resilience is one of like, um, a key fact, like a key quality to me, which is good and bad. Like I, I would say that a lot of people close to me would argue that it's bad. Uh, and then the people who work with me would say, okay, yeah, that's, it's a pretty good quality. Um, I think it comes into play because I like running a company and like architecture, it's just difficult. And on a daily basis and everything really on a daily basis, you will always run into setbacks. So if you're not resilient or you're not relentless about like trying to basically accomplish your task or trying to see your creation go from idea to build, then you will give up because people are going to make it hard for you. Certainly taking an idea all the way to building the finished product. Yeah. It does require relentless relentlessness. If you are starting a business or you're building a home or whatever the case may be. So I appreciate that. Well, Amanda, the people are ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? Well, funnily enough, when you bring that up, I would say it is to incorporate, and, and I'm like a big preacher of this, but it's to incorporate physical exercise into your daily life. And I'm a big advocate of this. It's not that, of course, there's the health part. There is the part where you're taking care of your health and you taking care of your health is basically just going to benefit everybody else in the long run, everybody working with you, everybody around you at all times. But at the same time, I think it's about conditioning your mind to be okay with pain. It's basically building up discipline. And I'm personally, I'm very like, I think we talked about the resilience part, right? How I would say that people close to me um, would say it's a bad quality because I'm very stubborn. And I know myself too. And I know that I can be very stubborn and I tend not to do, not to want to do things that I don't like doing. And so how, like, I thought about that, like, how do I kind of train myself to do things that I don't want to do without having to like, basically like with, with without having to actual, like tr trying to trick my mind. And so exercise is one of those things where I, kind of like condition my mind into thinking if I exercise every single day, I'm cultivating a type of discipline into myself. And I'm also allowing, like I'm, I'm allowing my mind to be okay with the idea of pain. So I'm also building up my pain tolerance in that way, 
in my daily life, I become a little more fearless. Well, I think that that is great stuff that definitely gets, come on, come on. And I absolutely couldn't agree with you more. It does. It, it's, you're actually building physical muscles, but you're building the muscle of being able to, to deal with really hard circumstances and actual physical pain and also mental pain and emotional stress and all those things. So nothing but a immensely valuable thing. Well, Amanda, totally. thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can they learn about OWIU Design? We have a website. It's OWIU-design.com, but we're also pretty active on Instagram. I'm also very active on Instagram. Um, my Instagram is Amanda G-N-W-N. Perfect. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Amanda your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to owiu-design.com and check out all the great work that Amanda's doing. Find her on Instagram as well. Give us your handle again, Amanda. It's Amanda G-N-W-N. Amanda G-N-W-N on Instagram. I'll list all those in the notes of the show. Thanks again, Amanda. Thank you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together.